0: All right, ladies, welcome. <clears throat> so that's our custom to learn uh, Tehillim chapter a week, as best as we can. Uh, we're, not, uh, we're not exhausting it to the fullest extent, obviously. I don't expect to learn one chapter in, in an hour's time. <clears throat> but nonetheless, we do the best as we can. These classes are a, uh, <clears throat> Project of Dr. Rafi Madhab that commissioned me to teach the Tehilim in memory of his mother, uh, Mrs. Meddeb shalom lili Lily Virginia, the great Sadekat, and uh, these Tehilim are for her uh, elevation of neshama. Tini Surah Besura Haim Amen. And we have kavanah for all the other names that were given. So we're up to chapter seventy-two. It's a significant chapter it is uh, probably the last chapter that David HaMelech wrote in the book of Tehillim I know you're saying how could it be the last chapter there's 150 chapters if this is the last chapter this should be the end of the book I appreciate the question uh, the answer is that there's five books in Tehillim and there's five books in the Torah David Amelech wrote five books corresponding to five books of the Torah. And if you learned when you were young in the yeshiva, they taught us the famous rule that the Torah is not written in chronological order. When they told us, en mukdam u ba Torah. For whatever reason, the Torah is not written as a storybook year one, year two, year three, year four, year five. The Torah <clears throat> jumps around from year to year, so it's possible that it'll tell you the later event first, and then the early event later. For whatever reason, the Torah wants to do that. You have to believe that rule in Mugdamo me'ohar bat Torah, we see it all the time. So we have to say the same thing in Tehilim. Although technically the book ends here, this is the last chapter he wrote, but it's written earlier on in the book, although other things happen <coughs> earlier that are written later. So that's, <coughs> I'm going to tell you that because if you look at the last Pesuk of this chapter, the last pasuk of this chapter is pasuk twenty. Right, kolu tefilot David ben Yishai. The tefilot of ben Yishai of David ben Yishai have come to an, an end. Now, could it come to an end? So we explained it uh, as the way we said that this is the end of the uh, of David because it's the talking about an event that he prayed for. The event that David's gonna pray for in this chapter, we can all relate to. The hachami tell us there's no greater pleasure uh, that a parent has, is to live and see the success of their children. And to see that their children reached certain levels that maybe even themselves reached in their life and they were able to continue and to perpetuate uh, the legacy. It's a big pleasure for a father To see his son or daughter, for that matter, continuing in the way. Basuk says by Avraham Abinu, by Avraham he was old and he was satiated. They say he was old in years, but where was he satiated? The fact that he was able to see Yitzhak become one of the Avot, that means he was able to perpetuate the legacy, that caused Avraham Abinu to be uh, content. It's a big thing that even Moshe Rabbeinu did not merit. And it caused Moshe Rabbeinu a lot of anguish that he did not see his children go into his way. He had to give his leadership to Yahushua. Yahushua was his student. It's a great thing, but it's not his son. He was jealous when Aharon passed away. Why was he jealous? Because when Aharon passed away, it says they went up to hor to the mountain. That's in Jordan. I was on that mountain, it's another story for another time. We went up, you had to go up with donkeys for three hours. And then after you go for three hours on donkeys, they stop you in the middle of the spot there and you get out and then you walk another, about an hour, till you walk to the top of the mountain and there's a gift shop right over there. (laughs) They figured out how to get a gift shop in that spot. Anyway, I'm just kidding, there was no gift shop. But the point is, we got to the top of Horahar where Aharon is buried. So you have to go into a different country, and it's a, it was a story for another day. <clears throat> anyway, Aharon, when they took him up, it says they took his clothes off, the clothes of the Kehuna, and he dressed his son, El Azar. So when Moshe Rabbeinu saw that, he got so jealous, in a good way, that Aharon was able to see that his son is gonna take over the, the Kehuna, albeit it was only for a few seconds was then he passed. But that alone gave Aharon a tremendous consolation. So it's a, it's a big thing, we, we don't take it for granted. It's the, it's the, it's the most uh, satisfying thing for a parent. Uh, if you want to see a, a, something in our lifetime that we saw, that it's hard to see it, but we saw it, when Hachamabad Badya Aleva Shalom, right before he passed away, he was able to attend the ceremony where they coronated his son, Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef, to be the chief rabbi of Israel. And they put the exact robe that the of wore all those years. Same robe, the same turban. So for him to see, you know, how many people become the chief rabbi of Israel, I mean, that's, a, that's a small list. And to have a father see a son sit on the same throne that the father did, this has to be the, the greatest, I mean, pleasure of a parent that the son was able to reach such a, uh, such a plateau. So with that we saw in our own lifetime. <clears throat> David... Was praying in this chapter <clears throat> that he should merit to see his son Shlomo on the throne and to become the king and to and to judge the people, and that would be where the chapter begins. The Shlomo, the Shlomo means not that Shlomo is making the prayer; David Melech is making this prayer for Shlomo, meaning that he should merit to see his son sit on the Kisei Hakabod. Now. Shilomo will become the king at 12 years old. He wasn't even Bar Mitzvah yet, but Shilomo was blessed, obviously, with tremendous wisdom and, and all sorts of knowledge that was divine, and David did see it. David was able to see it at the end of his life, and he actually coronated his son to take over. So this prayer was, was answered. And the Mepharshim say, and I'm a long, I know I'm going backwards, but, Kolu. Tefilot David ben Yishai Kulu can mean not only the prayers ended, but Kulu means Kulo. That means all the prayers of David ben Yishai was what that he should see his son succeed. Which is that's the of, that's all the prayers of a parent that they pray for their children to see their success in their lifetime. The Mishnah Brura writes in Halachot that every morning when we say the Berkatat Torah. The blessings for the Torah. Every parent should pray for the success of their children. Like when we say vini anachnu veetzaienu veetzaietzaienu veetzaiamichabidi tzaienu. Our children, tzaietzaienu. Our grandchildren. That every parent or grandparent, when they say those words, should have in mind for all their children by name. David Admetich prayed by name. The Shlomo. He didn't have a general idea. He said the name to my son Shlomo. And the tzaddikim, when they say tzaddikim, they picture in their brain the names of all their children. Uh, my son Yosef, my son Yehuda, my son Yaakov, and, they, 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 and the grandchildren. They, they think of each one, and this prayer is to what? That they should be tzaddikim, and, the and they should marry the proper children, and have their own proper families, according to the Torah. These are the advantages that parents give their, their children. Now, David didn't take it for granted. David didn't say, well, listen, I'm a big tzaddik, so it's automatic, it's in the bag. He didn't. He still prayed for it and Baruch Hashem was, he got answered but the Mepharshim was saying the fact that David prayed for Shilomo David ben that was all the tefillot that David made his whole life that was the main tefillah that he always wanted he should have children that are following in his footsteps now let's see let's see what he said Elohim mishpatecha lemelechten, V'SEDKHATECHA simply means Elohim God meshpatecha. Meshpatecha means the laws or the wisdom of the laws ten, give it to my son that he should know how to judge cases uh, according to the Torah law in order to come out to the right judgment tzedek, is justice it should be given to Ben Melech Basically, that he should have, he should have the, uh, he should have the wisdom, and as we know, Shimon did have the wisdom. He had divine wisdom, as we'll see soon. Yadina mecha betzedik, he will judge your nation the v'aniyecha and the poor people be mishpat with justice. Let me explain to you what's going on in this pasuk. It's very significant. There's a beracha in the Amidah. The beracha says, "Baruch Ata Hashem Melech Ohev Sedaka mishpat. There's a difference between these two words, sedaka and mishpat. Sedaka is sedaka uh, is like a kindness. Sedaka mishpat is justice. So the Gemara is questioning. If there's tzedakah, there's no mishpat. If there's no mishpat, there's no tzedakah. These are two opposite words. Tzedakah means you're doing kindness. Tzedakah, it's like, uh, you know, you're doing something that's uh, a favor. Mishpat means justice, deen. So make up your mind. So God says, it depends who you're judging. What does it mean it depends who you're judging? The law is like this. If a rich man comes into the court... Halakha says you're supposed to give him judgment. Let's say judgment is yes, you have to pay the rich man $10,000. The rich man won. But then the judge is supposed to tell the rich man listen, you could afford it. This guy's a poor guy. We know he owes you the $10,000. Why don't you go beyond the law. There's no much followers to follow the law. Be a nice guy. Maybe let him pay it over time or maybe take off a little someone to make it easy for him or let him do work for you or something so he could pay it off. Now, if he wants to be a wise guy, he so no, the law is the law, I want my number." Okay, he can't say anything. But the judge has an obligation to try to impress upon a person who can afford it, to try to go, Now, if he doesn't want, he doesn't want. But the Gemara says that Jerusalem was destroyed because people did not want to go beyond the letter of the law, for good reason. We want God to go beyond the letter of the law. We don't want the God to judge us by the book. Because if somebody's going to be judged by the book, nobody comes out winning. It's like Barmanan, we don't even want to mention it, that if somebody gets audited by the IRS, even the most honest guy, the IRS will find something. Once they open the books, there's always something wrong. They find the decimal point was in the wrong place. They, they, they They put him in trouble. So we don't want to be audited. So when God sees that we go without the law, close the book, we know the law is the law. We're gonna go So then God says, close the book. When the Yitzhara and the Malach comes to God and says, hey, they got sins, God says, close the book. We're giving them above the, above, the, above the law, beyond the book. So that's what's the mitzvah to try to impress upon the people, don't always go with the law. In America, they're blinded everybody by rights. What's my rights? What's my rights? They wants to have rights. The animal has rights, the, the pervert has rights. The, everybody has rights. Except the baby. And the baby is the only one Hazid that doesn't have rights. Because so they said that's the rights of the mother. I, I'm not going to go into the whole story now. But the point is, but what if a poor man comes into Betin? And if a poor man comes into Betin and he wins. And he wins. They say, okay, you won. He's supposed to pay you $10,000. There we're not supposed to try to convince the poor guy to say, let it go. he needs the money. So there, when it comes to a poor man, we allow mishpat, we allow the judgment to be Fixed. When it comes to a rich man who can afford it, then we try to push tzedakah. So Melech or God loves tzedakah u um, mishpat. When it comes to the rich man, we try to tell him, tzedakah, uh, let, it, let it go. And when it comes to the poor man, we say, you know what, you won, take the money, mishpat. Devent it? And that's what the pasuk is saying over okay, here. Look how perfect the pasuk is. Yadin amechah besedik. Amechah is the rich man. When it comes to the Amichat, to the people that are wealthy, but tzedek, you try to tell them, let it go, tzedek, do a favor. However, when it comes to the poor people, the mishpat, there you can't demand from somebody that can't afford it to go beyond the letter of the law. Aziz, he needs to eat, he finally got some money to eat, I'm not going to give that money back. <laughs> it's not fair. So therefore, God has no problem with mishpat, so long as the mishpat is being... Uh, 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 um, Exactly, is being offered to the right person. Mishpat should be offered to the Ani, and sedek should be offered to the Ashir. That's the way we're learning this Pasukovia. Ah, furthermore, Mishpatecha Lemelech Ten. This is a big, big uh, concept, it's a little deep concept. What was David Melech saying? Your laws should be given to my son, the king. how should I explain this to you? There's laws that the Torah prescribes and those laws are supposed to be uh, executed by judges. The judges have a, a text in the Torah and they have Gemara and they have a, a template. So when they go into court, the judges know exactly what the Torah wants from them. They have to follow the, the rules and the rules are very clear. If a person steals, for example, he has to pay double. That's the law. Ganav pays kefir. He stole a thousand and they catch him, tell him you stole a thousand, you were caught by two witnesses, you have to pay two thousand. That's the law in the Torah. Now, the Torah does not make a differentiation between who stole, who was stolen from, because there can be a little injustice over here because you say, hold it. You're telling me if a person was a poor man, Azit, you don't have what to eat. And he went in the middle of the night, and he stole $100 in order to give it to his wife so she could make Shabbat. He's wrong. He's wrong, but uh, I, I, you, could, uh, you, know, you feel bad for the guy. Now they catch him. So now what are they telling the guy? Not only pay the 100 you have to pay another $100. he didn't even have the first 100 He stole because he was poor. So you, you, you come along and say, is that fair that he has to pay the 200 Now, compare that to a rich man. A rich man that has all the money in the world, but he likes, he likes more money. And he goes, he steals hundred bucks from somebody else. So would will pay two hundred. Eh, it's easy to pay two hundred. So there, where's the justice and the law? And shouldn't it make a difference from who you stole from? Shouldn't it make a difference if you stole from a rich man that the hundred bucks is not going to make a difference? Or a rich man stole from a poor man? I mean, with, you stole from the poor man, it's going to hurt him much more. How can the Torah just make a blanket law, not factoring in the status of the ganav or the nignav. It's not factoring in who the thief was and who the one that was stolen from. You understand my point? But the Torah doesn't do that. The Torah just says double. What's the explanation? So I saw this from a great rabbi called the Veliyahu L'Opiyam. The Pian Le LeVeliyahu. Coffee break. So now, he says, Rabbi Eliyahu like this. He says, when the Torah gives the punishment, that's the minimum punishment that the Torah will offer. Which means, in the most mitigating situation where there's the minimum guilt, that's the minimum punishment the Torah is saying. The minimum, which means, when the Torah said pay double, it's talking about the Ani, the poor guy who needed the money for Shabbat. and It's taking in all these circumstances why he should be treated lenient. So the Torah says that's going to be the punishment for everybody. We're going to give the most lenient. Now what about if somebody deserves to get punished more? Then Hashem takes care of that. Understand what we just said? The Torah has to give a minimum threshold. That means the least punishment. If we have to give the least fine for this crime, the least fine is going to be double. Now, it might be somebody should have to pay triple. Somebody might have to pay quadruple. But we, we, we in earth, we can only execute the minimum punishment. So they, God picks the case where it's the most mitigating circumstances. A poor man stole from a rich man, and he stole in order to feed himself for Shabbat, <clears throat> where he's really the most innocent. He's not innocent because he stole. But in stealing, it's the most you know, mitigating circumstance where you say to yourself, Azit the guy. And that's the guy that has to pay double. Any variable that changes, is only gonna be more. But we cannot do that, that's God's business. It's very important what I'm telling you. So a person comes and thinks that they got away with, so they didn't get away with anything. Because just like there's judgment on earth, there's judgment in Shemaim, like the Gemara says many times, Patur bideh Adam, Hayabi de shamayim. Patur de Adam means the courts can't get you, but you didn't escape justice. Hayab de shamayim. What do you think? There's a court on earth, there's a court in heaven. So although you escaped the judgment on earth, but they're going to catch you upstairs. So even when you see cases, let's say on earth, where you see a guilty person, everybody knows he's guilty, and he escaped the justice. oh it's not fair the guy should have been guilty he didn't escape anything and the Mikubalim explain why that happens because sometimes a person is so guilty that Borei Olam says we're not going to let him get his punishment over here because if he gets his punishment over here he'll get off too easy so therefore let let him walk a little and we'll finish him off with the real punishment in them so you should never worry I mean I don't think you're worried but you shouldn't lose sleep either about Justice not being served. Justice is going to be served. It's just going to be served on God's timetable, not, not, not when we want it. So everything will be settled. Now, there were certain sadiqim that had the divine wisdom that were able to judge on earth according to the standard of God in heaven. They knew how to calculate factors and not execute according to Torah written law but according to heaven law David was one of them Shall I tell you the story of David? Well, we're here already so I'll tell it to you The story of David The story of David is like this David Well actually it's kind of complicated But David He went with Bathsheba Now She looked like she was a married woman I say, she looked like she was a married woman. She wasn't. Her husband gave her a divorce. I'm not going to go through the whole halakhic issue of it, but take my word. David is not committing these type of crimes. So what happened? Nonetheless, because he's David, and he's held to a very high standard, and he has to be, you know, lily white. So the Prophet Natan came to him. The Prophet Natan says, I need to talk to the king a case came up in the courts okay what's the case so he said well there was a um, there was a guy and uh, a poor guy and Mesquine he doesn't have anything except a little sheep a little lamb that's his whole life and he gets the shearings from the lamb and he gets the milk from it and they, they nurse it and they cuddle it and they sleep with it the lamb is the, that's all they have this couple Next door neighbor's a rich man. And the rich man was making a party, and he said, we need food. So what did we went next door, and he stole the lamb of the, of the poor guy, Hazid, and he slaughtered it, and they made lamb chops, and everybody ate, and they were happy, and now the poor guy's coming and saying, hey, what's going on over here? Uh, the guy took, took, took my item. That's the case. Now everybody says, oh, Hazid, that's not right, that's not right, but if you're following Torah law, What's David Amir supposed to say? If you follow me Torah law. Are there witnesses? His word? Can I cannot trust his word? You need to have? Otherwise, everybody will come to court. Can I just come in front of two rabbis? He stole my wallet. Okay, pay him. And everybody will do that all day long. <laughs> That's the easy way to make money. I can come to the court with two witnesses and say, listen, the guy came, he stole my sheep and he slaughtered it. And David Amir should have asked Natan, are there any witnesses over here? And Natan would have said no. And then what would Nathan, David say? Sorry. We, we, we cannot enforce a judgment. where there's no witnesses. But David didn't say that. David said, if Nathan is coming and telling me the story, we trust, we trust Nathan. He's a prophet. He made up rules now. These are rules. <clears throat> Just like God trusts Nathan, we can trust Nathan. Okay, but well we have a law. What is the law? If somebody steals a sheep from somebody else and slaughters it. He has to pay back four, four sheep. So David should have said, very simple, we notice it's written in the Mishpatim. You stole one and you slaughtered it, pay two plus two, two for the stealing and two for the slaughtering, that's four, and that's it, very simple, but it's happened after. David goes like this and says, oh, this rich man, he's guilty of death, guilty of death. Where did we get this guilty of death from? Because David Amir was saying, you're right, the Torah when it said pay four, that's the minimum. That's the minimum, that's the poor guy stealing a sheep to eat for Purim. So less to pay four. But this is a rich man stealing from a poor man? That's not four. Yeah, but you're not God. Yes, David had the ability to judge according to the way they judge in heaven. Is in heaven, they'll kill the guy. So in my court, we have the ability to kill him. Now. <clears throat> then Nathan said, Okay, David, you're the guy. That's you. Because you're the king and you went to this guy and you took his wife. That's the sheep. And you, you couldn't take any wife and you went to him. He turned it around on him. And all of a sudden, David Amelik said, Hatati. But the point is, how did David make it? It was a mashal, It never happened the case. It was a hypothetical to get David to confess. But even the hypothetical, David thought it was a real case. And David said, Guilty of death. So therefore, David was praying. Lishlomo, regarding to my son Shalomor, Elohim Mishpateka, your judgments, Let my son have the ability to make rulings according to the to the heavenly court, which is which few people are able to do that. understand my point? When you went into the court of David, it's like you're in heavens. You're getting judged by God, because he's able to see everything according to the the real factors. There were some rabbis that had that power, not every rabbi. There was one time a rabbi called Rav Hida Yosef David Azulai. He was a rabbi that lived about, I don't know, 400 years ago, maybe less. Uh, this was a, he was one of the students he learned in the Kolel of the order Haim HaKadosh Haim Ben Attar in Yerushalayim. He was a great rabbi. He wrote over 80 books. We have most of the books. Haim Yosef David Azulai. In his town, there was a lady that was under suspicion that she committed adultery. Uh, That's uh, and the husband was suspicious of her. And uh, in the olden days, we have a solution for that. You take her to the Beit HaMikdash, you give her the waters, and uh, if she's guilty, that's it, she explodes, and uh, you know, nobody lives happily ever after, that's it. It's, uh, the waters solve that, but today we don't have the waters. But (laughs) Ravhida, Felt she was guilty. He felt it, how does he feel it, how does he know it? It's Sadiq, he knows everything. So he tells the lady, come to my office, I wanna discuss something with you. She came to the office, and he opened the Sefer Torah, and he starts reading the Parashah of Sota. He's reading the Parashah, and as he's reading it, her stomach starts to uh, to, to swell, and her legs start to buckle, and it, and she let out a scream, and the whole town heard it. And they ran, they ran, and they saw a sotah, uh, uh, you know, uh, deteriorate, I guess, in front of their own eyes. Now this was, this is not, there's no, there's no waters, he just read the book. So you see, there were certain sattikim that they had abilities to do the law on a, on a different level. Not, not everybody has that power. So what, what David was praying, that Shlomo should have that, that ability. And he did. What was the, what was the case where he had a tremendous abilities to make laws and make genius rulings? The Gemara tells us, or the Navi tells us the famous case of when the two ladies came uh, with the baby. <clears throat> it's a big argument in the Gemara who these two ladies were were they zonot, or were they, they, they were yivamot, some say they were actually demons, testing them, Chilomo. And when they came, there was a baby, and uh, one of the ladies went to sleep, and she rolled over, and seems she, she killed the baby in her sleep. And uh, now they came to David, and she was claiming over here, and there was one baby that was, that was alive, and uh, each one was claiming that the baby that's alive belongs to them and the baby that's dead belongs to the other one. Uh, maybe they were twins. Maybe, how, why couldn't they tell? That was the case. So now you have one baby, what are you gonna do? And each lady is saying, the baby belongs to me. The baby belongs to me. So David was 12 years old, and all the, all the rabbis are there. What is this 12, 12 year old kid gonna rule on this case? They okay? uh, have to be a prophet. So Shalomor looks at them and says, well, you know, I'm noticing that the way Hashem created the human body, He created doubles. He created two eyes. He created two ears. He created two arms. He created two legs. Which tells me that you don't need both of them. You can live with half of a body. So we'll make a solution. We'll split the baby in half. You get half and you get half. And that's it. Now when the rabbis heard this, they went, Udi, look who he got stuck with over here. This this is worse than Joe Biden. This is over here. (laughs) Look, look Look what we have over here. This guy's going to make a ruling like this now. They cut the baby in half. They didn't know that he was doing something psychologically genius. They thought he believed in what he was saying. Yeah, well, cut it in half. What's the difference? You got half and you got half. So that's just got half. Half is better than nothing. <clears throat> and it says they put their heads on that. They said, oh, we have a na'ar. We have a kid running the country over here. This is the way he's going to rule now. Cut babies in half. Well, we don't know what's going to be over here. And then, all of a sudden, uh, the mother, uh, the real mother said, no, 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 don't Don't split the baby in half. Give it to the other one. And it says, a heavenly voice came out from heaven, not Shalomor. A heavenly voice said, that's the mother. So it means David, Shalomor, according to the rule, there's no Torah law on this. How can he prove who's the mother? You can't use psychological tricks in court. Torah says, you have witnesses, you don't have witnesses. What are you supposed to do in this case? I don't know, make custody. You take up two days, you take up two days. I don't know what you're supposed to do in such a case. But you can't just give it to one because you use the psychological trick. But David was so smart that he had the wisdom like they have in the courtroom in God's courtroom. And when it said, you're the mother, that wasn't Shilomo talking. The heavenly voice came out and said, that's the mother. And when all the people heard that, they said, wow, what a king we have over here. This king over here is a king that's judging according to... God's law, not 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 not, not 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 There would be no human court that could solve that case. You have to say, you have to share the kid, whatever it is. But the, the Shlomo El-Mik was able to give a ruling, and that's only because of the beracha that he got from his father. And the father beracha was the Elohim your judgments Give it to him so he'll be able to uh, rule the people properly. Now look at the next person. Each, each one of these Pesukim has a lot of stuff in this. harim shalom la'am. Now, David, in his time, there was no peace. You know, certain kings live in peaceful times. Other kings live in war time. David lived in war time. He was always at war. But he set up the world for his son that by the time Shalomor came, there was peace. And that's what It says, Yis'u harim. The harim is the mountains. Literally it means the nations of the world that are strong like mountains. Shalom Laam. They will have peace to our people. Ugba'ot Those are the hills. Bistaka. Bistaka means it should be charity and kindness. Which means the world that Shalomor shall live in shall be a peaceful world and a you know, a world of berakha. Uh, of but I saw uh, over here a beautiful explanation of a rabbi called Hatam Sofer. And I have it over here. What does it mean mountains should produce Shalom? I didn't know that Shalom comes from the mountains. Now, it's true I explained it. I explained it already when I told you that the mountains refer to the Goyim, the strong mountains, that they should have peace with the Jewish people. But he says something different. Harim shalom la'am. In the times of Shilomo there was no war. And when Mashiach comes also it says, there's not going to be any more war amongst the nations. It says, lo sa goi el goy That the Goyim are not going to use hereb and weaponry. They're not going to use metal for making ammunition. And the Pasuk says, nechoshet avi zahav. instead of Nehoshet, Nehoshet is copper. When Mashiach comes, the copper is going to turn into gold. You can't make from gold weapons. And then it says, barzel kesef," and instead of Barzel, which is iron, God's going to produce what? Silver. You don't make weapons out of silver. So therefore, the metals are going to, to change. We're gonna go from copper and iron into gold and silver, which is a way of saying there's going to be world peace. You're not gonna to need to have any of these, you should be happy if you're hearing this ladies. That means gold and silver, that's only for jewelry and only for, for things like that. So it's gonna be, be a surplus. Now where do we get gold and silver from and where do we get copper and iron from? From the mountains. Hatam Sufer says, we go to the mountains and you you chisel the mountain, you bore through the mountain. Like it says in Parashat Ekev. From the mountains we will draw out copper. Where do they mine metals? They go to the mountains. The mountains produce weaponry. They produce the metals. Now they also produce gold and silver. So the pasuk is saying, when it comes to the mountains, when when it comes to the mountain, that magic. When it comes to the mountains, it says Yis-u harin shalom la'am. The mountains, instead of using the mountains to mine things that cause war like copper and iron, Yisuharim they're going to mine from the mountains shalom things that promote peace, which is what kesef v'zahav. Now. Mountains are called Harim. Why are they called Harim? And why is a small mountain called Giva'a? Giva'a is like a, a hill. So the Hatam Sufair says beautiful. Because the word Har comes from the Hebrew word Hiraion. What is Hiraion? To give birth. Since mountains have inside of them products, so therefore they're called Harim because they bore product. But giva'ot, they're also mountains, but they're empty. There's nothing inside of it. So the Pasuk is saying beautifully, Yesu Harim, let the Harim bore fruit. And what fruit are they going to bore? In this world, before Mashiach comes, or before Shalom came? the mountains were producing what? Weaponry, Neoshet, ubazel. But now, Yesu Harim, Shalom La'am. They're going to produce things that bring peace to the nation, which is kesef. And the mountains which are empty are going to produce Sedaka. So he says uh, that's just referring to uh, uh, the regular peace that will be uh, in the world as well. So that's uh, a. And, and what are the Giva'ot going to pr- produce? What Giva'ot produces is product. You put seeds in the, in the ground, and it produces grass and wheat and things like that. So ugbaot that don't have anything inside of it. They will produce on the outside, meaning farm, luscious meadows, and prairies, and, and things like that. So, you see how the Pasuk is so. Uh, next Pasuk. Ishput ani ya'am. will judge the poor people, Yoshiah and bring salvation to the impoverished, vidakir oshek. And he will also uh, subjugate the oshek. The oshek is the one that takes advantage of the ani. Next Pasuk. Oh, this is a classic. Look at this Pasuk here. Ira'ucha in Shamish. dorim. David Amerik is praying that the people should have fear of the king. Shalomo, Im when it's light outside, and when the moon comes out, which means we would say in our vernacular 24-7, they should have fear to you, Im with the sun, and when the moon comes out as well. Obviously, that's a prayer for the king. But the, she says even better. From seeing the Shilomo, they will have fear of God. It will bring them to having fear of God during the day and during the night. But from this Gemara, from this pursuit, the Gemara learns a big Hiddush. We know that it's a mitzvah to pray Shaharit every day. But the Gemara is asking, what is the opportune time to pray Shaharit? What is the best time to pray Shaharit? Now we know that you can pray until midday, but, it's not the opportune time. So the Gemara says the best time to pray Shari is when the sun is coming up. That's called Netza Hama. Hama is when the Netz means to bud. In Netza is to bud or blossom. When the sun blossoms in the morning, when the sun just peaks above the horizon to pray the Amida at that point. Now that means you have to start 45 minutes before that. Of course, the prayer doesn't start with the Amidah. The prayer starts with Mudani and the HaShachar, and then we have the Korbanot, and then we have Baruch She'amar, and Berchot Yutzer, and Kiryat Shema. So that all has to be done. So by the time Netzah Hamah comes, you're right at the Beracha, right before the Amidah, Baruch HaTah Ga'al Yisrael, and you start Hashem Sevaday Deftah, it's already as uh, the sun's coming up. If you want to see something uh, magical, and how does the Gemara know this from this pasuk? Yiraucha im Shamish. Yiraucha im Shamish means the people should fear you im Shamish with the sun. And as the sun is coming up, that's when they should show the fear to. And it says that whoever prays Netzach uh, hama, he's protected for the whole day, and he cannot come to damage, and he cannot come to trouble. All the Benachot are said for those that pray at this uh, early time. There was a great rabbi called Hazon Ish. Hazon Ish. When he came from I think, Russia or wherever, he came to Ben they didn't have a minyan for nets in Bnei Birak. Early on, when he came. But he was careful to pray nets Hama every day. So for the first, I don't know how many years, he prayed alone. He prayed by Yahid. And he didn't pray with a minyan, because he wanted to make sure he prays with nets. And then after he would pray to nets, he would go to shul to answer Kaddish, and to hear the sefer Torah, to answer Baruch Hu, which He didn't give up the the Kaddishim and that stuff, but he gave up praying with him in Yan because he felt that praying with the Nitz is, is that important. And uh, it's a big discussion when the Nitz is. I know it's not a halakha class, so I'm not going to confuse you. You say, what's the big discussion? When the, when the sun comes over the horizon, it's the Nitz. But if you look in the calendars, some will tell you the Nitz is 524, some will tell you 523, some will tell you 526, is different discrepancies which part of the sun does the whole ball have to come up? there's the first ray of the? there's different ways of calculating it the Hazon Ish they say when he used to pray nets he never looked at the clock they're talking about how do you know you're getting the nets because he said if you're three minutes late you're also okay he didn't he didn't feel that to pray someone you have to pray exactly the atomic clock five twenty-six and 42 seconds and 80 it's like the olympics where you have the you know, the, the, the skiing guy, the slalom guy with the 27 digits after the uh, pie. You don't have to be so, so strict on that. But people oh, we missed it by a millisecond. You think of the olden days that they had the nuclear clock? And then they still prayed nets. He believed that it's, uh, you know, if you pray even a couple of minutes after, I think Rabbi Yaakov Kermit, he said the same thing. So therefore he said, what have to look at the clock for? It. Even if I'm a couple of minutes late, I'm still praying. I'm still praying the nets. But that's a big, it's a big item. Yeruchem <speaking in Hebrew> Shamish. And the Siddiquim were careful to try to pray at that time. If you want to see something magical once in your life, you come here, we have a netz every morning in the shul in Lawrence Avenue, in the library. That's our custom, we pray nets. That's why I'm so tired always. We, we pray nets. And the sum of the nets is 522. So that means, I mean, the Amidah is a 522. That means you have to be in shul ready at 430 in order to, to be ready at 522. But it's worth it, but I tell you what's worth it. Most of the members that pray with us in the library upstairs, the, from the library you have a perfect view of the ocean you see the ocean and really to be honest when you're praying in it, you're supposed to have your eye in the sea do it women, also? women are invited yeah you're invited right awesome yeah why not it's good for everybody it's equal yeah. equal opportunity it's for everybody it's time, time. yeah of course why not so now yeah it's for everybody but the point is no listen sometimes ladies sometimes during the year the nets is 7.30 so it's easy. 7.30 is late already. You have to wait to pray nets. You have to wait. The problem is now they want to change the clock. That's going to be the problem. If, they don't, if they're going to not fool around with the clock, because they move the clock back, don't, don't we move the clock around in this country? So if they're going to stay on this time, that means the nets will be at 8.30. So how are we going to go to work? How are we going to go to people who can't pray before 8.30 a.m.? It's going to be... It's gonna be a trouble, it's gonna be a trouble. Imagine, so now you're gonna have a guy, so I pray Nets, you're a lazy guy, you pray Nets. <laughs> nets is 8.30, you a big shot, you pray Nets, 830. 830. 8.30, Pray first minyan. that's a guy, you pray 8.30, The guy's a kaslan. But the point is, the point is, what am I saying? So in this minyan that we pray in, you cannot, it takes big uh, 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 resistance, not to take our eyes out of the Sidur, because you see the ball of the sun coming up, and you see exactly at the time, Whenever the net is, all of a sudden you see nothing. Ten seconds before you see nothing. Ten seconds you see nothing. And then nine, eight, seven, you're looking at the clock. All of a sudden, one second, psh, the sun comes right up over there. You're praying to God. And, and God says, Look at these people. The first moment that they can pray to me, they're praying. So it's a, it's a, it's a big zikhu. And the Arizal learned from this, oh, I'm not sorry, the Gemara learned actually, it's a mitzvah to pray with the sun. When the sun rises and the sun sets. That's why the, our custom in the old country, even here we do it, we pray 20 minutes before sunset, Minha. If you're the Syrian shuls, whenever we pray, Minha, when do we pray on a weekday? You don't have to ask. You'll always know in any of our synagogues, you can go 20 minutes before sunset, there'll be a Minyan for Minha, you don't have to ask. Why? Because it says, Im you should also pray when the sun is coming down. And these are had reasons why that that's the uh, that's the best time uh, to pray. Okay, so that we learned an interesting halakha from this pasuk. That is one more. There's one more thing that I'd like to say, uh, if I may. In pasuk Zayin, in pasuk Zayin, pasuk Zayin, David is praying about his son Yifra'ach sadik Yifra'ach. Meaning he should have, he should flourish. And B'nai Israel should flourish in his days. And we said that the shalom should remain uh, you know, for his whole, his whole uh, kingdom. Until Mashiach comes where there's not going to be a moon anymore. Which means to say, the moon it says when Mashiach comes, he's going to have the brightness of the sun. So that means, he's, that's a way of saying forever. His, the peace should be in the olden days, instead of saying forever, they would say, the peace should be until there's no more moon. It means until Mashiach comes and the moon will turn back into the sun. And the sun will be seven times brighter than it is today, however that means. But there is a interesting dirash on this Pasuk, Yifrah. Now, yifrah means to flourish. Like we say in Arabic, Farah, Farah, you should flourish. Yifrah. He should flourish. B'nai says should flourish. Now you would think that this word is such a popular word. Ifrah, it's a beautiful word. But it's not so popular. The Rabbi called Turin actually only found uh, four times in the uh, Torah that this word is, uh, is written. Now I'd like, to, I'd like to read it to you the four times. One is here the Jewish people should flourish in King Solomon's days. That's Pasuk Zion. The second time is actually what we read in this week's perashah. I don't know if you paid attention. Do you remember this week's perashah when they took the stick of Aharon and they put it in the Ohil Mo'ed, in the Holy? And it says all the other sticks remained, you know, barren, and Aharon's stick flourished. It grew blossoms... And then it grew amens, and everybody knew that Aharon was the, was the chosen one. So the Pasuk says uh, by Aharon, Asher Ivharbo, the one that I choose, Matehu Yifrah, his stick will flourish, so that's the second time. And then there's another time, we know we say it on Friday night, Sadiq Katamar Yifrah, Sadiq Katamar Yifrah, that the Sadiq will flourish like a, like a palm, and then, the last one is not so well known. It's in Hosea, Yifrah Khashoshana. Yifrah Kashoshana meaning she flourish like a Shoshana, Shoshana is a, a rose, flower, a rose, okay. Those are the four times. Who could repeat all the four? No, I'm just joking. That, but when whenever now let me teach you something. This is Style of the Ba'laturim. There was a rabbi called Balaturi. He's a commentary commentator on the Torah, and this is classic Ba'laturim where he would find words and then cross-reference where else in the Torah do you find this word? says, so, oh, four times, and he gives you the pesukim. Now, he was not Google, meaning what is he doing? For us over? I didn't I didn't put a search Yifrah, uh, and it comes up four four searches what's the purpose? we not nobody asked him to do a search and we don't need it explanation is that he's now by the way he didn't use a computer that's the amazing thing today if somebody comes oh I found this word three times in the Torah and because she searched it on the computer that's why I once said today if you want to find out who's a real tamid hacham ask him a question on Shabbat uh, then you'll see oh I'll get back to you no, why, why can't you get back answer me now because he can't do this he can't, he can't Google it that's why so that's when you, when you want to know who your rabbi is, you ask him a question on Shabbat. Don't ask him on Sunday when he can find the answer in two seconds. Anyway, the point is, the Baal Torim didn't have a, a computer. His head had the whole Torah. Can you imagine a man could scan? He types in his brain, Yifrah. Every one of the 24 books of Tanakh. And he has to scan over here every single, it's, it's, it's incredible how he has such mastery. I saw one time when I was in yeshiva, <coughs> in 1986 in Jerusalem, I was learning in yeshiva, and we were sitting in the row there with my friend, it was probably one of the Lanyano L- twins, Eliot or Raymond, and we we're learning Torah together, and there was two rabbis behind us. There was the chief rabbi of Antwerp, who was our rosh yeshiva, Rebchaim chaim Aleba Shalom. Rabbi was known to be a big tzaddik, you knew the whole Torah on the fingertips, and Rav Isaac uh, Yitzhak Prague, who was the Rosh Hashiva as well. And these two rabbis talking. And me and Elliot are sitting, and we're learning, but we're overhearing their talking. But they're talking not uh, to boast at all, it's a private conversation, but they were right next to us. So Rav Prague says to Rav Kreisward, how many times is this rabbi's name mentioned in the Shas? Wow. So Rav he says oh, four. So Rav Prag says five. So Rav Kajur says ah yes five. And that's They kept on talking. I said oh, did you see what happened over here? These men just went through twenty eight hundred pages of shas. They scanned every page to find how many times. They said, oh yeah four. Oh yeah, that one you're yeah, right. That's five. But they weren't doing it to be uh, uh, you know ostentatious or something. That's how much mastery so the Balaturim does the same thing but the reason why he did it was because he believed that if it's written four times in four different pesukim it's a mitzvah to try to connect and link all the times that this word is used there's a story being told over here so therefore even though the four words are written in four different contexts one is talking about the times of, Shalom, one's the times of uh, Aaron, and One's talking about the times of Aharon, and one's talking about the times of Hoshea, and the other one's talking about Zadikat There's no connection, at least apparent connection. But then, a lot of rabbis wrote books trying to take the uh, links that the Tur, Balatudim gave us and try to make a connection. So I'll read you the one that they do on this one over here. This I'm reading to give the credit. In the sefer called Beikver Ketuvim, from Rabbi Yaakov Erlesstein Alav uh, Shalom, he's the uh, the brother of Megadol uh, Adutoray. Okay. V'ev Shalom Marapit V'Hashal. Ya'be Minim Shebalulav. You know that we have four species on Sukkot. We take the lulav. Keneged Dalid Sugim BiYisrael. The four species that we have in the lulav represent the four types of Jews. There's four categories of Jews connected to four species. Ta'am You have the etrog, which has a good smell and a good taste. That refers to the tzaddik. He has ta'am v'rayah, he has Torah, he has mitzvot. The etrog is the tzaddik. Ta'am v'lo'rayah. Then you have a good smell without a, I'm sorry, a good taste without a smell. That's the lulav. The lulav is a palm tree. What's on the palm tree? The dates. The dates have a good taste, but there's no smell. So that's referring to somebody that has, let's say, mitzvot, but doesn't have Torah. Now then you have Leyah b'lo that's the hadas, the hadas has a good smell, the hadas, but there's no taste. So that's another type of Jew. And then you have the arabah, that's the rasha, Lotam Understand the arava, you smell the arava, you smell nothing. You taste arabah, it's nothing. You're tasting a branch. Vezeh the pasuk. sadi katamar yifrah. The first pasuk that we mentioned is Sadiqa tamar. What's tamar? The palm tree. That's referring to what? The lulav. Then it says what? Yifrah ka shoshana. A shoshana has a reyach, Has a smell, the rose. The, 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 the rose has a smell. However, it does not have a taste. Yifrach b'yamav tzaddik The tzaddik is what? atam lo nizkar lo ta'am ve lo reyach rak al yedet habrut na kemo araba Which means Yifrach b'yamav tzaddik, it's referring to it has no tzaddik as no ta'am and no dayah. But because it's close to the tzaddik it gets a ta'am Kam Yosef Hamma used to explain to us like this The tzaddik is the etrog The araba is nothing but the Arabah becomes great because we take the etrog and we, we put them together. So the goal of the tzaddik is to turn the Arabah into a tzaddik. How does the Arabah become a tzaddik? Through association. So it says, Yifrah biyamav, The Arabah will flourish. How? Tzaddik, because he's next to the etrog. So that's referring to the Arabah. And then it says, uh, the fourth one, Mateo Yifrah. That's the pasuk that says, It produced almonds. The stick of Aaron had blossoms that have smell, and it had shekidim that have taste, which is referring to the what? The etrog. So therefore, the four Pesukim of Yifrach is referring to the four species. Each one is connected. Now watch what the Rabbi said. I once asked a question to one of the rabbis, and I said, why is the etrog in a separate box? We put the lulav and the hadas and the alaba in one compartment, and it in a separate box. So he said, because the job of the tzaddik is to try to influence the other three types of Jews, but then go back to his, uh, we, don't, we don't want the etrog to turn into a lulav. So therefore, it's a big lesson. Before you know it, if the Yitrog is gonna live with the other three, he's gonna turn into an Arabah himself. He say what happened to the Yitrog? So therefore, the job of the Tzaddik is to go to try to influence the people, and then go back. Go back to the Bit Midrash. Because if he doesn't go back to the Beit Midrash, he won't be able to influence the people. He'll end up becoming like the people. So that's an important lesson. But look how, look how stunning. On the last day of Sukkot, we have a custom. What's the custom? We take the Araba. Uh, ladies, I know you don't do this, you're sleeping, but we stay up all night the last night of Sukkot, or Shana Araba. And we're early in the morning, after we pray early in the morning, we take the Araba and we go outside in the bed, Knesset on the ground. Yeah. We get the Araba, we get the Araba. Habit, Habit, but nobody, wait a minute. So I once asked, what are we doing to Amiskeen the Araba? What, what do you want from the araba? What would the we do to you? What, what are you beating it up for? They have nothing better to do on the last day of Sukkot to beat up the Arabah. Explanation is, because today we say the Arabah represents the rashah, no smell, no taste. But by the time Sukkot is over, he's been hanging around the Etrog so much, there's no more Arabah. So we break the Arabah in the sense to say, that guy doesn't exist anymore. The Etrog was able to rehabilitate the, uh, so that's Yifrah B'Yamav Sadiq. That means if a person wants the Yifrah B'Yamav, if a person wants to flourish in his days, Sadiq. Let him associate with the tzaddikim. I cannot tell you how lucky me and my friends were when we were young, that we had our great rabbi, Hacham Baruch HaLabashanom, the founding rabbi of our great synagogue. That in itself, that I could have the same rabbi in yeshiva that my father had is a, is a blessing in itself. Uh, and, and, the, and, the, and the rabbi of my grandmother, so that's three generations already that were able to share the same rabbi. But the fact that he allowed us access and the way he taught it to us, so all my friends became much more successful only because of the association with the sadiqim, and that's what the pasuk is telling us: Yefraḥ If a person wants to have ifrah which means flourishing, and beracha, you must connect yourself to the tzadiq. And if you connect, and not only the, the old sadiqim all over, the tzadiq is considered, a, 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 like it says, sadiq Yasod onam. The tzaddik is the foundation of the world, and those that hold on to the tzaddik, even though they might not be worthy, but the tzaddik lifts them up, and I conclude with what we know by this, Yifraq B'Yamab tzaddik, when the spies went to Israel, Kaleb succeeded, Kaleb succeeded, he was one of two spies that succeeded, and everybody wants to know how did he succeed? Everybody else came back with a miserable report, they came back with a terrible uh, you know, malignant report, and Khalif came back and said, be, what a land, the land is unbelievable. How did he see different than everybody else? It says, because he stopped off at the Ma'at A He went to the grave of the tzaddik, and he prayed by Avram Abinu. And even the who who's buried was able to give Kalev a different perspective and he was able to come back with a good report. Now could you imagine if that's a tzaddik that's buried in the ground? Look what the power it could do. Could you imagine that Sadiq that is that is alive? And therefore, if Rahbi Yahmab Sadiq is hinting to us. The association that we have for the Now, As I said, this is the last chapter, because after this chapter, David dies, and then Shilomo ascends to the throne. And that's where the parik ends, Kolu tefilot David But as I told you earlier in the class, there's no order in Tehillim, so next week, we're all going to learn chapter 73. And you're going to say, how 73 happened? I thought you David already was dead last week. But he died this week, but the chapters are going to be out of order. Okay, we'll stop over.